Welcome to the Jazz Shapers podcast from Mishkondorea. What you're about to hear was originally broadcast on Jazz FM. However, the music has been cut due to rights issues. This is Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Listening colour. Welcome to Jazz Shapers with me, Elliot Moss. It's where the shapers of business join the shapers of jazz, soul and blues. My guest today, I'm very pleased to say, is Cecile Renault, founder of Seraphine, the British maternity fashion brand. As a child in Paris, Cecile was taught to sew and make clothes for herself and her dolls by her grandmother, who, with Cecile's grandfather, used to supply fabrics to the top fashion houses. She was inspired to revolutionise maternity wear after her colleagues in advertising complained about the lack of fashionable clothes available to them during pregnancy. After designing several items from her kitchen table for pregnant friends, Cecile opened her first shop in Kensington in 2002 with £250,000 from investors. Her aim? To perfect the art of being fashionably pregnant and bring Parisian chic to women worldwide. The brand now sells to over 100 countries, buoyed by its popularity with celebrities and no doubt a little by the Duchess of Cambridge wearing Seraphine for the first official family portrait with Prince George. Cecile's also a recently appointed board member at the Cherie Blair Foundation for Women, an organisation supporting female entrepreneurs in developing countries. And after selling Seraphine last year, we'll find out Cecile's plans for what's next. Hello, how are you? It's nice to see you. Lovely to be on the show. Thank you for inviting me. It's an absolute pleasure. Cecile, tell me, obviously, I, I mentioned the point about where the fashion gene came from. And I interviewed Nicole Fahi a few years ago, and she had a similar story about family and, and fashion. It's one thing having a passion for fashion. It's another thing wanting to set up a business. Why did you move from the world of advertising into this space? What was, if you can remember, the real impetus for the change? So really the driving factor for me to jump into entrepreneurship was kind of seeing the culture that was becoming very prevalent, particularly in London, of entrepreneurships. The internet was starting, uh, it was the, the early days, but there were a lot of people coming up with great business ideas. And, you know, that really inspired me to think, could I do something that I feel truly passionate about and at the same time make it a successful business? Actually, some years, a couple of years before, I had a sort of chance encounter with the founder of Body Shop, Anita Roddick. And she had really, truly inspired me and impressed me. And I think somewhere this was at the back of my mind of thinking, mm, could I be something akin to her? So it was definitely there. And uh, I was working in advertising, working for big corporates, working for the like of Shell, Barclays, Unilever. And I really enjoyed that. But at the same time, I could see that I couldn't think that I would have enough passion to carry me through, let's say, the next 20 years of working with these big corporates and that I was probably better in a, a field where I could have more passion and more ability to drive change. So I decided to jump and, and, and create my business. You did jump. And was it, were you pretty sure from a very early stage that you'd made the right decision? You know, it was uh, not always, but I always felt like because I had this somewhat safety net that I had a successful advertising career, I thought, if it's a failure, I'll go back to that, you know. So that gave me 
quite a bit of safety that I thought, why not try for a couple of years? And if it doesn't work, you know, I have proven myself uh, in the corporate world, so I know I'll be able to go back. So, you know, there are always moments of doubt, but I think the, you know, traits of character of entrepreneurs is often to be over-enthusiastic and optimistic. And I'm certainly in that category of people. So despite the challenges and sometimes at the back of my mind thinking, was it the right decision? I always kept sort of going forward. In those early years, you, you said something just earlier. You said, well, there was, of course, there were the seeds of doubt. How did you ensure that you held the line? How did you keep on going so that the doubt, whilst we all doubt about things, even super, you know, mostly super successful people, actually, it seems to me, what kept you going in those early years? When did you know you were on to a winner? Well, you know, we had some very early success and we had in particular some big profile celebrities coming to shop in what was the first Seraphine store. So before we made a big internet business, we were a shop only store. And, you know, that kind of really made me think that if quite famous people like the likes of Claudia Schiffer, for example, were buying my product, there was something, you know, to keep going and it it must be quite a a good product. So it, it gave me that reassurance. I also, you know, had initial angel investors and I felt extremely driven to show them that the trust they had put in me by investing in the business, that they were going to be happy and satisfied of the return. So I think my personal pride was very much involved there. And that always gave me a sense of always go forward and try harder. After opening the, sh- the shop, did you start to think about, because the internet was still e-commerce was still relatively new, of course, not completely new in the mid-2000s. But was your aspiration quite early on to hopefully give millions of women or hundreds of thousands of women the opportunity to buy your clothes rather than a few thousand? You know, it came a couple of years after, so probably in the third year of launching. What was interesting is when I wrote the business plan, the e-com bubble was just bursting. If you remember, uh, companies like Boohoo.com uh, made a big mess <laughs> and uh, had had to file for bankruptcy. So to my investor, I told them, I'm not going to do any of this internet. This is going to be a straightforward bricks and mortar chain of store. And they liked that idea. They were like, okay, none of that, you know, internet crazy idea. But actually things progress very quickly, of course. And within the space of three years, it started to shape up that, you know, this this would be a great way of distribution. And we were a small brand, but nevertheless, we quickly built that reputation for doing extremely good product. Initially, one of our hero products were our jeans, and we had waiting list of, of women waiting for these products. And I realized that the medium of internet would enable me to distribute product far beyond just the catchment area of a store. So that's when I changed the business plan effectively. And I think that's what entrepreneurs do is you have to sell with the wind. So when I saw that the wind of internet was coming thick and fast, I decided to take that opportunity. 
And that, as they say, was a very good idea, Cecile. Luckily, the, you did follow the wind, and the wind has been quite a big wind. It's blown up quite a storm and a hurricane <laughs> over the last 10 or 15 years. Stay with me for much more from my guest, Cecile Reynaud. She'll be back in a couple of minutes. Right now, we're going to hear a taster from the Mishcon Academy digital sessions, which can be found on all of the major podcast platforms. Mishcon Derez, Emma Walcott, is going to be talking about the privacy rights of children and the considerations that may arise where a parent seeks to include children in their social media footprint. The Mishcon Academy Digital Sessions. Conversations on the legal topics affecting businesses and individuals today. There's a lot being talked about now about sharenting, parents oversharing on social media. And if parents aren't aligned in the level of sharing of private information, it's going to be even harder for them to answer a claim by a an adolescent or a young person who says, actually, I don't agree with what you have published about me as I've grown up and before I was able to exercise my consent. It's not the case that you have no right to privacy just because you're too young to exercise it. So I think it is going to lead to some very interesting conversations. The internet has a very long history and a very long memory. So parents who are, whether they're doing it unilaterally or together, parents who are sharing information about their children need to be very careful about what they share and try to view it through the lens of their child as they mature and what they would want to be shared in the public domain because once information's published online it's very very difficult to get back the mishcon academy digital sessions to access advice for businesses that is regularly updated please visit mishcon.com jazz shapers on jazz fm in partnership with mishkondorea it's business but it's personal you can enjoy a smorgasbord of excellent former business shapers and hear this program again with Cecile on the Jazz Shapers podcast. Or if you have a smart speaker, you can ask it to play Jazz Shapers and there you'll find many of our recent shows. But back to today and Cecile, it's Cecile Renault, founder of Seraphine, the British maternity fashion brand. You've mentioned and I mentioned the role of celebrities in your promotion, as it were, the fact that the Claudia Schiffers and the, the Duchess of Cambridge and, and many other people, well-known people, have endorsed your clothes because they wear them rather than being paid by you to endorse them, if you will. This is a, you know, before influencers were influencers, before celebrities were sort of doing this, you were on it because you had a a really strong following. Do these lovely women have a connection with you personally as well? Do they build one or are they... Is it just lucky they wear your clothes or does something deeper happen with the brand? Well, it really depends from client to client. With some, we build one-to-one relationships and with others, they they are just clients. So definitely, you know, we have this, this big group of celebrities and we love to say that we dress from... Obviously, princesses, our famous customer is the Duchess of Cambridge, but all the way to a rock star like Gwen Stefani. So a big range of of celebrities. And it is what has cemented our brand and the fact that people realize the quality of the brand and makes the brand really aspirational. So indeed, we have been working on like having this big palette of brand ambassador who are these these famous, whether they are a Hollywood star or a singer or a news presenter, really all the way to top models. Has your background, I, I read somewhere that you said, look, 
I've got my degree and all that, but actually the most beneficial phase of my life has been actually running this business. I just wonder though, your background in advertising and your business degree, surely these things help you look at the role of celebrities and the role of influencers in quite a strategic way. Has it helped having that background? Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, uh, studying and, and work, it also gives you confidence. And that's what is key in success. Having the confidence to think, you know, I am going to contact this celebrity and offer her to wear my clothes. That that takes some kind of level of confidence about your product, about your brand. So these years of experience definitely helped me. But I think communication and PR is something very instinctive and it's not something necessarily that you can learn in books. So I am a big advocator for learning on the job and and definitely when you run your own business, you're thrown into the water and you have to swim. Uh, there's no one to teach you how to do things. So you become a very fast learner. And what about those people that you've employed over the years and the creation of a team? Because none of this happens without really talented people. How have you helped them learn how to swim if they're not quite sure? So you, as you say, you know, the success is always the one of a team. And I have been very fortunate over the years to uh, recruit and come across people who are hugely talented, who complement my own strength. Because as an entrepreneur, you need to be aware of where are your weaknesses and get people to come and, and strengthen these areas. So I've really enjoyed creating a team and it felt a bit at times more like a family because we were getting on so well all working towards the same goal the way I try to you know empower them uh, so that they could grow and themselves become very successful in their career was really about never paying attention I would say to hierarchy always allowing people even who were relatively junior to come up with ideas and embrace the good ideas. And I think that really created a very positive culture where everybody in the company felt some ownership and some desire to make it always grow and improve. So really that, that culture of openness, uh, no hierarchy, flats organization has been very key to the success of Seraphine. Cecile, you were talking about your team and, and you no know, hierarchy and all that stuff. You mentioned in passing, you know, you find people that obviously are good counterpoints to your weaknesses. If you had to identify your one or two biggest weaknesses, what would they be? Hmm, this is a very tricky question. <laughs> it's like an interview where they go, um, what are your weaknesses? You go, how can I make that sound like a strength? <laughs> Except that I actually <laughs> no, do want to know your I real weaknesses. You, when I, I started the business, the first person senior that I recruited was an accountant because I knew that was my extreme weakness. I hated accounting classes when I was doing my business degree. Even though I got an A star for them, I really had to force myself um, to take this class. So I knew that this was really a weakness. And I would say generally anything which is administrative, which requires organization skill of the sort of administrative type I am rubbish at you know I'm a creative person I love thinking outside of the box I am a connector of people of ideas 
but you know a business does need the backbone of organization and of systems and that was definitely not a strength of mine and likewise technology is not something that I'm particularly I feel particularly strong about so as we were building a big internet platform able to take thousands of orders a day across so many countries you know there's a lot of sophistication on these systems so again I really looked for the best people who could help me with tech because I felt like this is a slippery area for me I'm not going to be good enough and of course your investment in in people that understand tech has stood you in great stead because as much as you you know you pivoted into the e-commerce with all those years ago the last 15 months or so could have been brutal for you if you weren't being able to sell your wares online globally and you have Absolutely. been i mean what mm. have have you seen those those products or rather the percentage of sales rocket online have they sustained yeah you? of course i mean we were like uh, 85% online before the pandemic we have stores also in New York, in Paris, so in different cities. And fortunately, they've not been all as affected by lockdown. But definitely, we have seen a big, you know, intake of influx of new customers. And, you know, shopping online has been the only way in the past couple of months. Do you think, though, that the in-store experience, just very briefly, do you think there will be people coming back? And if they are going to come back, and what will bring them back, do you think, apart from the fact they can? I think you don't change people's habit in the course of a year, you know. So if you think that we have been used to go shopping in stores for decades, so this, it's a blip. So whilst we are realizing some parts are convenient, I still feel like shopping nowadays, it's a social activity. It's something that you do with your girlfriends, if you're a woman, with your children. And, you know, and we miss that a lot. Being in front of a screen cannot replace that. Also, if you are buying certain categories of products like shoes, I don't know, but I find this extremely difficult to buy shoes online. And, you know, as a result, I have bought no shoes this year, which <laughs> makes me very sad because <laughs> I love <laughs> shoes. So, no, I believe people will enjoy it even more because before they took it for granted to be able to go to a store. And now, you know, because we have been deprived of this, there will be a lot of joy associated. So I do think that retailers should kind of embrace and, and make sure that shoppers have got this great, amazing experience again. You love your shoes. I love my jeans and I can't wait to go back into a jean store. But there you go. Yeah. Final chat coming up with my guest today, Cecile Renault, and a super track from Miriam McCaber. That's in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Cecile Renault is my business shaper, but she's only here for a few more minutes. So I hope I take best advantage of that. The values of the business have been really interesting to me, Cecile, because you've got this luxury product. You've got these incredibly high-profile people and all the normal non-high-profile people using your, wearing your clothes. And yet what you've also got is a really serious set of values. You believe in sustainability. You've donated a lot of stock to, I think it's called Fripp Etique, the Oxfam Social Enterprise in Senegal. You've done a bunch of stuff and you seem to have done that very early on. What inspired you to create a business like that versus just selling clothes? 
Well, I think the concept of giving back is very important to me. And I must say that uh, I take that from my father, who has been given a lot of his energy and time to charity. So it's something he taught me since I'm a teenager. And it seems an obvious one that, you know, you have to share success and enable other people to rise as well. So, you know, it can be from as simple as giving away excess clothes. Uh, we did some wonderful campaigns at Seraphine where we raised money for Tommy's, the baby charity. Many times we worked with the Diana Award, which is the official charity of Princess Di, and raised money for them. So, It's always been on my agenda. And now that I have left Seraphine as I sold it to private equity, I decided that I should definitely apportion some of my time to help charities. And I have decided to help the charity of Sherry Blair, which is all about empowering and helping and supporting entrepreneur women in Africa and uh, South America and India. So countries and regions of the world where obviously it's, it's much harder for women to break through into entrepreneurship. We know even within the UK, there's a barrier for women to become successful entrepreneurs. We are only very far and few, but obviously in, in countries where there's a much more macho culture, this is even more difficult. So I had the pleasure to meet Cherry Blair and, you know, her charity really resonated. I felt obviously this is a topic I know and I think I can help. And it's very much about helping women by giving them very regular uh, mentoring sessions. So it's pairing a mentor and a mentee and it's enabled through the simple use of mobile phone. Um, so again, technology is enabling women and men from developed countries and privileged countries to help women who have uh, less privilege. So I love this idea. And that's why I decided to join the board and help them raise money and be a donor uh, as well. I mean, I think that point about, and, it, and that's fantastic, because that point about there are not enough female entrepreneurs either in this country, or as you said, in more overtly sexist countries where there are more structural impediments to women having equal rights in terms of even having opportunities to do things. I think that's absolutely fantastic. We're going to run out of time, and, and I'm and I'm conscious of that. So just before, and thank you so much for, for finding the time here in the 2021, just a few months after you have sold your business and congratulations on that. It sounds like you're going to be filling your time pretty fast. Yes, indeed. <laughs> it sounds like you're not going to be sitting around wondering what to do. You've already decided to do some things and that doesn't surprise me at all. Um, just before I let you go, what's your song choice and why have you chosen it? So I chose a song from Chet Baker called Autumn Leaves. Uh, it's quite a little bit melancholic, but for me, it's a special time when... I went to open stores in New York, and this was the time where I was opening the second store in New York, so five years ago. And the store had just opened. Uh, it's on Madison Avenue. So after the opening, I went for a stroll in Central Park, and there there was this lovely jazz band playing in the middle of the park. It was extremely romantic, and I sat on the bench, and I reflected on, you know, the having come to New York, opening business, it's, it's quite a journey. So, you know, this song sort of put me in a reflective mood, thinking about all the hard work and the achievements. 
That was Chet Baker with Autumn in New York, the song choice of my business shaper today, Cecile Renault. She talked about having confidence in her own abilities because if it hadn't have worked out, she felt she had her own career to fall back on. She talked about the importance of no hierarchy, how good ideas can come from anywhere and everyone should have a sense of ownership. And finally, she talked about giving back and she's already getting involved in giving back to support other female entrepreneurs, not just here, but internationally. That's it from me and Jazz Shapers. Have a lovely weekend. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. We hope you enjoy that edition of Jazz Shapers. You'll find hundreds more guests available for you to listen to in our archive. To find out more, just search Jazz Shapers in iTunes or your favourite podcast platform or head over to mishkon.com forward slash jazz shapers.